0: My name is Brad, and it's our privilege to welcome you here to Jericho Ridge, particularly uh, if you are new or visiting with us. I'm part of the teaching and pastoral team here at Jericho, and uh, this is a great time to be jumping in with us because we're talking about something on Sunday mornings that has this universal implication uh, surrounded to it. It doesn't matter whether you believe in God, it doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual journey. We're talking about the conversation that a person has with God in prayer. And prayer seems to a lot of us like this mysterious thing that we're not 100% sure, like we really know what we're doing in a lot of ways. But prayer is, that's why we're taking about six weeks to kind of explore all of the different dynamics and dimensions that come together with prayer. Because it's complex and sometimes it can be really frustrating. I don't know if you experienced that at all. Uh, But in the first week together, we explored the topic of why in the world do we we pray? Why should I bother praying? And so we took questions about prayer uh, via email, on Twitter, and in other uh, formats. And we had some great feedback. And that's what Pastor Keith was mentioning earlier uh, this morning in your journal. If you've been doing some thinking and some writing about prayer, we'd love to still hear some of the questions that you have And then uh, next weekend, we have a panel discussion. We'd love to respond uh, to some of those. And some of the people here at Jericho are just going to be sharing, here's what I'm learning about prayer, and here's where I still wrestle with it and struggle. So the week after that, we looked at the topic, which to me is one of the most vexing topics when you think about prayer, and that is, why doesn't God just answer all of my prayers? What do I do with things that I've been praying about and praying about, and, and it just doesn't seem like they're getting anywhere with this prayer conversation? So we talked about unanswered prayer, and then in uh, last week we talked about, well, what actually is prayer? Like, when I'm praying, what's actually going on? And we saw from John 15, prayer is actually a partnership uh, between God and an invitation uh, into our lives that we're invited to participate in some of the things that God wants us to be and to do in the world. And today we're going to look at some of the mechanical questions of prayer. Like, how does prayer actually work? What's kind of going on? behind the scenes, so to speak, when we pray. Next week we'll have a panel discussion and then we'll conclude our time uh, on the 20th of November by having a time when we corporately look at what does it mean to listen to God? Some of the things that Jared was bringing up and wrestling with in the question that he asked uh, earlier on this morning. So I wanna look at some of the questions that were asked earlier in our series on prayer and they're great ones on the mechanics of prayer. And there's a lot that could be explored here, but one of the, one of the great questions that came up in our, uh, in our invitation for you to submit your questions was this question. Do my prayers ever change God's mind? So if I pray and God maybe has something else in his mind that he was working on, and I pray about something, is that going to alter what it is that God was thinking about? And the example that this person used was said, well, for example, Moses pleading with God not to punish Israel, and he doesn't. And we have a bunch of fascinating texts in the Bible that in some ways actually argue both sides of this equation for us. So uh, we have this instance that this individual mentions in Exodus chapter 32. And this is the people of God, they're gathered, uh, they're worshiping the golden calf, Moses is up on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments, and he comes back down. And uh, God says to Moses in almost parental language, "You know what, Moses? I have had it with these people. I am sick and tired of listening to their complaining and their griping all the time. You tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to wipe them off the face of the earth, and we're going to start this whole project fresh with you. And maybe we can get your family. I'm going to build you into this great nation." And Moses instead of being wonderfully honored and excited by the option, as I might have been, uh, says to God, you know what, God? No, I don't think that's a good idea. And Moses prays and he pleads with God and he says, God, don't do it. This is a really bad idea, God. You shouldn't do this. And then in Exodus 32, verse 17, the scripture says, so God changed his mind about this terrible disaster that he had threatened to bring on his people. So Moses prays, God changes his mind. And then you have the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. And God decides he's going to punish the city of Nineveh for their horrible crimes. But before he does, God says, you know what, I'm going to give them a chance to repent. So he sends a guy named Jonah, who doesn't really want to go, uh, and gives them a message. And Jonah says, listen, bad things are going to happen to you if you don't repent and stop doing these evil things that you're doing. And uh, he tells them what's on God's mind. He says, God's given you 40 days to get this under control. And their response is prayer. The king of the city of Nineveh gets people together and says, you know what, this sounds really bad. We should probably do something about this. We should pray. And so the people of this pagan city cry out to the one true God in repentance and ask for his mercy. And Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 says, when God saw what they had done, And how they had put a stop to their evil ways, God changed his mind. And he did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. So we have these two instances where, just as examples, where the prayers of human beings offered to God have a profound impact on God's intention in the world. And it changes, actually, the very course of human history and our story. But then you have other examples... Other counterpoints and texts that remind us that God is not fickle. God is not like a puppet that somehow I pray and I just need to pray hard enough or long enough to get God to do what it is that I want God to do. And so Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 reminds us, that hey, listen, God is not a human being. He does not lie. He's not human. He doesn't change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? So God's not fickle in that way, the text is reminding us. Or again, in the book of Job, chapter 23, verse 13, Job, after all of this conclusion and conversation with God, it says, once God has made his decision, nobody's going to change his mind. Whatever he wants to do, that's what he does. So you kind of have this potential confusion going on where we've got instances where God changes his mind when I pray, Another in other instances where it says, you know what, God is not going to be a puppet. You're not God's puppet master where you can dictate to him what he should do, and then he's going to kind of do that. So it can be a little bit confusing for us to understand, well, if that's the case, how should I pray? If I, can I pray as if I should be expecting God to change his mind? Or should I pray as if God's mind is made up already, and nothing I say or do could change that in any way? Well, part of that question that we wrestle with speaks to some of the other questions that we received. Uh, One other question that came to us was, how can I differentiate between prayers that God will not answer and the prayers that are answered, but they're not really the answers that I wanted? What aspect, in other words, of God's character should I be appealing to when I pray? Because the people of Nineveh, in that example, they were throwing themselves on God's mercy and, and saying, hey, we've, we've changed God. We've repented. We've changed our attitude and our hearts. And so God answers that prayer. But what do you do? You've got an, a, a family member that you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and that family member still passes away of a terminal illness. What about people in East Africa that woke up this morning, will have Hundreds of thousands of people all around the world praying for them, and they'll still go to bed hungry tonight. What does God want me to pray for and not pray for? How do I know? And not only that, but perhaps maybe a little bit more importantly is, how does God want me to pray? How should I understand this thing called prayer? Are there any good examples that we could point to from the scriptures that would be good indicators for us, that would guide us into a deeper understanding of how We might want to approach God in anticipation. Are there any biblical prayers that I should model our prayers after? Well, we're going to look at those questions and gain a little bit of clarity by looking at Luke chapter 18 and exploring what's one of my favorite parables that Jesus tells. But it's also probably one of the most confusing parables that he tells. It's a parable about prayer. And you would think that Jesus, who talks a lot about prayer and models a lot about prayer, would tell a little bit more parables about prayer. But there's actually only a few of them. And they give us a little bit of instruction on how we should approach God. And it gives us a window that maybe one of God's greatest desires is not for me to change his mind, but to learn a little bit more what's on his mind so that my prayers can become an expression of a harmony of desires, that God and I will be partnering together to understand a little bit more of what's going on in each of our worlds, in each of our lives. So Luke chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. And Jesus tells these compelling stories about prayer. And the ones that he does tell are very puzzling because they don't give us all of the answers at one level that we're looking for. And Luke 18 has got to be one of my favorite parables in this regard, because we have two of the most compelling characters that Jesus ever sets up in the stories or the parables that he tells. We have a judge who is very, very unjudge-like, a judge who cares nothing for justice. And then we have a widow who is very, very, very unwidow-like, in that she's very gutsy and bold and very, 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 persistent. So let's look at our text together in Luke chapter 18, and we'll start reading in verse one. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Now, Jesus, right away, we notice something. Quite often, the disciples have no idea why Jesus is telling them the story. Here, he just tells them right away. Listen, this is a story about prayer, and you need to pray often, and you need to not give up about it. So the story says, there was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. And a widow of that city came to the judge repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. But the judge ignored her repeatedly saying, uh, for a while, sorry, but finally came to himself and said, I don't fear God. I don't care about what people think. But This woman is driving me crazy. And so I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. And then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Now Jesus here in this story gives us the takeaway before he even begins. At the end of chapter 17, he's talking with the religious leaders of his day the Pharisees. And he's talking with them about the kingdom of God. He's talking with them about heaven. And he's talking with them about when is that going to come? And his disciples are asking him questions. How will we know? Like, when is this whole thing going to happen when God's rule and his reign is established? And Jesus essentially gives them a response to say, it's not going to happen right away. So you need to be patient and persistent. And you need to be persistent in prayer. Because It's going to be a little little while here. He talks about that at the end of chapter 17. And Jesus' response to when is God's kingdom coming in its fullness is to tell them a story about waiting and persisting in prayer. And one of the first things that we learn from this text about how prayer works is just that, that it requires, built into the understanding of how this thing works, is prayer requires persistence and perseverance. Whenever Jesus talks about prayer in the New Testament, it's not like we often think about prayer. We often will pray. We often think about prayer as if it's kind of a little bit of a magic incantation. If I say my prayer, God will do what it is that he's supposed to do, and then I don't have to bug him anymore about that, so I'll say the magic words, whatever those are, uh, bibbity bobbity boo in Jesus' name, amen, and then I'm like, all right, that's good. I left it with God. Uh, He'll look after that thing for me. I don't have to pray about that anymore. But Jesus' model in prayer to us is that we are to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And I kind of wish that it wasn't the case because, frankly, this is not an area of strength for me. I am not good, both personality-wise or character-wise, about doing the same thing over and over again and over again. Personality-wise, I am wired up to like things that are new, I'm wired up to like like, like lots of variety, and uh, if I have to do the same thing over and over and over again, to me that gets a little bit boring, especially if I'm doing it for an undefined period of time, and it's something that maybe is not my favorite activity. And so it's kinda like that motivation poster on persistence that uh, reads, we've exhausted all the possibilities, now let's get started. So, culturally, I think, and for me, personality wise, I'm wired up, and our culture is wired up, to expect very short term, almost instant results for almost anything in our lives. And so sometimes I find that I I pray about something, and I think, okay, God, I'm going to pray about this. And then two days later, I'm thinking to myself, but I prayed about it, and nothing seems to be happening. Why is nothing happening here? Like, God knows that I prayed about this. Do I have to tell him again? Is it somehow that God has forgotten my request? That maybe, you know, well, should I pester him? Should I remind But he knows everything. So if he knows everything, why am I even praying about this in the first place? And persistence then in prayer becomes a bit of a challenge because I'm not wired up, and culturally we're not wired up to kind of keep after something for a long period of time but prayer by its very nature actually requires persistence and perseverance. It requires you to keep sharpening the pencil, to keep approaching God in conversation with your needs and requests. I love the parallel story that Jesus tells to this one in Luke chapter 18. It's just a few chapters earlier, if you flip back in your Bible in Luke chapter 11. And he he sets the story up with just a slightly different set uh, cast of characters. And he concludes that story in prayer in the same way and says, so I tell you, keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. And so I find that usually my problem with prayer is not theological. It's not that I don't believe that God's listening to me when I pray. It's not that I believe that I don't believe that he's all powerful and he's going to act in this situation. My problem is actually less theological and much more practical. I'm just not gutsy enough to stick with it for a long period of time. My usual problem is I don't have the patience for it or the persistence that it requires. But Jesus reminds us with these two stories in Luke 11 and then again in Luke 18, that prayer requires a level not only of persistence, but it actually requires a level of guts to it. Prayer requires boldness, almost like a shamelessness to it. Prayer requires us to lay aside some kind of timidity or tentativeness and grow some nerve and and get some cojones in prayer. Danny preached a message for us about a year and a half ago, said praying with chutzpah. And this text is to help us understand you got to pray with a little bit more resolve, but you also probably want to pray with a little bit less timidity than sometimes we do. In Luke 18, the story that we have is a woman with no husband. And in this time, Uh, when Jesus is relating this story, this person is completely on the margins of society. No rights, no resources, no access to channels of authority or power in any way. And here she comes to this judge and her request of the judge probably involves some type of monetary issue where she's been taken for a ride by somebody And the little that she has has been ripped away from her because of injustice in the society. And she has experienced wrongdoing at the hands of another individual. And so the judge has a cultural, a moral, and a positional obligation to help her. In fact, the judge is probably one of the only people in society, in her culture, that could help her with this situation that she has. And so he's supposed to, we think of judges, he's supposed to listen to her case and establish the facts and see that justice is done in some way. And in the judicial system in her day and time, the, as it is in some places in the world today, uh, if you're a judge, your resource stream comes from two genuine uh, kind of pots that you can draw from. One is your salary which you have access through to the Roman government at this time. And the other pot that you have to draw from is the bribery pot. And you can actually set up your little world in such a way, because you have the authority of the Roman government backing you up, that you can make sure that justice goes to the highest bidder. And you can make sure that, yeah, yeah, you're still taking your salary and all this, but if I've got a case, you can kind of sit down, and this happens, we were talking a few weeks ago with Peter Ash, who attends here in Jericho, Uh, and works in Tanzania and he's like we deal with this all the time in Tanzania you sit down with a judge and whoever has the most resources at their disposal they'll just drag the case on and on keep paying legal fees legal fees and then at some point the judge will kind of lean over and say you know we could settle this right now if someone wants to write me a personal check and in many places in the world this is how justice still happens And so it would not be beyond the realm of possibility that this is the situation Jesus is describing. And this widow, she doesn't have the means to write the personal check. She's been ripped off. She doesn't have anything that she could offer. She has no access to any resources or power in any way. But the only resource that she has is her boldness and her shamelessness. You see, she actually wants something that's very reasonable, justice but she knows that it's likely to be denied her because she has no resources on her side. Unless she can muster up the guts to get up every single day and to stand in line with the judge and try and be heard. To again and again and again and again and again and again and again present her case to the judge. It's like the judge sits down going through his, his, what's on the docket for today and looks at it and is like, oh, not her again. Seriously? Come on. Like she's here again today. She knows I'm just going to brush her off next day. Looks at the, oh man, she's back again? Come on, like can we make her go away? In some, could somebody please just deal with this lady? I don't want to hear her out in any way. But she uses the only resource at her disposal and that is her persistence. And she badgers him and badgers him. He gets to ignore her for a while, but after some time, the judge lets us in on a little secret in Luke chapter 18. And the secret is, the woman is crazy. He doesn't fear God, the judge says. I don't care. I'm not going to do this because I have some authority or I I have any respect for a higher power in any way. I'm not going to do this because I fear people, because somehow that society is pressuring me to do this. Hey, you guys, you you should give justice for this woman. He says, I don't care about that in any way. The only reason that I'm going to do anything about this is because the lady is crazy and I need to get some distance from her. I need to give her justice. She keeps badgering me and persisting me and reminding me that I should act about this. And so the judge acts, not because he has a good heart, not because he thinks it'd be a good publicity in the neighborhood if he did this. He doesn't care a stitch about that, but he does care about getting the crazy person off his back. And so he actually uses and gets her a just verdict. And the words that are described here, the words that are used to describe the way in which this woman approaches the judge uh, are the same words that you are used in a fight where somebody's getting beaten and they're just getting pummeled again and again and again and they're getting beaten down until they get so black and blue that they cry, Uncle, I'm done. I'm finished here. And so the judge says, it's the same with this woman. She comes again and again and again to the point where I'm done with her, I give up. And Jesus uses this as a lesson in how we should pray. Jesus says, listen, you need to learn a lesson from this unjust judge. The lesson is not about God's character, that somehow you need to come at God hard and try and get him to give you what you want. But the lesson is about the practice and the purpose of prayer. And that is that prayer's not for the weak or the faint of heart. Prayer's not not something that is such a casual exercise for us, I come and say, all right, God, I got a little laundry list here. I need you to look after it for me. Great. Thanks. I'm done. You see, oftentimes, we're probably either too timid or we're too anemic and too... We give up so easily in our conversations with God. And we're shy sometimes. And we kind of back off and say, well, I'm just going to leave that or we come and we, the, other, the other thing we can do is we can come and say, um, I'm, I'm sorry to bother you, God. Ah, I have something that's on my heart and on my mind. If it isn't too much trouble, could you maybe possibly, only if you have the time, if you're not super busy, thinking about the other problems in the world. If there's an outside possibility, maybe that perhaps, if you're not super busy, could you think about it? If you don't think it's a bad idea, perhaps, sometimes time, think about the remote possibility of maybe perhaps listening to me. And we're really timid in our prayers. And Jesus says, you got to learn a lesson from this unjust judge, that this is not the kind of prayer that Jesus models for us or invites us to participate into it. Listen to the mechanics of prayer that are described in Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews 4.16 says this, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And in this way, God is really nothing like the unjust judge. Because Jesus says is saying to us, listen, even if that guy listened eventually, how much more do you think that your Father in heaven who loves you and who wants to respond to you, who has opened up this wonderful privilege for you to come with boldness and to talk to him about anything that's going on in your life and in the world in prayer. How much more does God want to respond to you? And this is the picture that comes up in the parallel story in Luke chapter 11. And if you flip over there in your Bibles, you see in Luke chapter 11, the picture that Jesus uses is not a legal picture of this woman coming and pestering a judge. It's a parental picture. Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verse 11, says, listen, if you're a parent, you're a father, you're a mother, if your children ask you for bread, they say, hey, mom, hey, dad, I'm hungry. Could I have something to eat? You don't walk out and throw a bag of rocks on their plate and say, have fun with that, kids. If your child asks Luke 11:11 for a fish, they say, hey, listen, I need something to eat. Do you give them a live snake that's going to curl around and beat them and and bite them? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion and say, hey, go play with that. Come back and talk to me later. Jesus says, of course not. If you're a parent, you don't give those things to your kids. If your kid is hungry, you want to feed them. You want to respond to them in that way. How much more, Jesus says, verse 13 of Luke chapter 11. So if you... As a parent, if you as a sinful person even, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, there's two kinds of things that are happening whenever I'm praying or whenever you're praying. One of the things that's happening in every single prayer dialogue is that oftentimes we're thinking about asking God for something. We want to move God's hand in the world in a certain way to accomplish something. I'm inviting God to do something, either in my life or in the world. But the other thing that perhaps is even more powerful and more prominent, but it runs behind the scenes, so we don't think about it as often, that's going on in every single prayer conversation, is that every time I pray, every time you pray, God wants to mold and shape our hearts. Our hearts. God wants to use that conversation to respond to us in some way and to shape us in some way, just like a good parent does when they're responding to their kids. Now, as a parent, when my kids come and ask me for something, I have one of three responses usually that I will give to them. Uh, Yes, no, or later. Now, I don't know what it means in your house, so you should probably define that, but later can mean a lot of different things to different people. For example, we had some friends over at Thanksgiving, and their kids asked me as soon as they walked in the door on Thursday, hey, can we go swimming at the pool? And I said, knowing we were gonna do this on Sunday, I said, later. Uh, But to them, later meant like two minutes from now. So their little dude rushes upstairs, goes and gets on his swim trunks and says, all right, Uncle Brad says we're going swimming, let's go. I said, no, no, no. What did you hear me say? And he said, well, you said later, but in our house that means yes. I said, oh, I should have clarified that. In our house, later actually means at some point in the distant future. We have not decided yet. Mommy and I have to talk about it still. Later usually is a secret code word for no in our house. But you can keep being persistent and we'll see what happens. But sometimes, later actually means that you're going to have to ask again a few more times in our house. For example, our daughter. When it is sunny out, any day pretty much that it's sunny out, she thinks that's a good day to wear shorts and short sleeves. So today, I don't know if she did this, but usually she gets out and looks out, sunny outside, perfect, comes out of room, shorts, short sleeves on. I said, hon, you're going to have to go back in and put some clothes on. You're going to put a sweater on. You've got to put some jeans on. Just because it's sunny out, it doesn't mean that it's short-sleeve weather and that it's shorts weather. And she'll say, well, when can I wear shorts? And I will say, later. Which really means you can keep asking, and at some point in the distant future, when it gets a little bit warmer out and crosses into some mystical dimension where sun equals heat, then we can talk about it again. So she actually through that process learns persistence. And she's gonna come again. She'll say, Well, when can I can I wear shorts today? No. Later, can I wear shorts today? No, now's not the time. But at some point, later for that situation actually means yes. It's not that I'm opposed to shorts and t shirts, it's that I'm opposed to pneumonia. And so there will come a day when I will say, she'll come out of room, shorts and t shirts on, and we'll say, yes. Today is the day. Break out the water toys. Get out the slip and slide. Turn the hose on. But between now and then, she's going to have to keep coming to me and asking me again and again and again. Because as a father, I want what's best for my kids. And so I'm not going to say yes to every request. Because no self-respecting parent does that. Can I eat two pillowcases full of Halloween candy, Dad, in one sitting? Sure, go ahead, be my guest. Uh, can I light firecrackers off in the house at 2 a.m. on Halloween night? Yeah, no problem. Go ahead with that. Have fun. Can we put all of Christmas 2011 on our credit card so we can be happy and have everything I want? Sure, no problem, sweetie. Sometimes as a parent, it is your job to say no. Sometimes it's your job to say maybe, to say it's not going to happen today, but it will happen. And so in parenting language in Luke chapter 11, this is Jesus' point about how prayer works. Prayer is not designed for us to get what we want all of the time. That would be bad news. All of us, if we thought about it, could think of something that we prayed for, maybe, in our, past, in our history, and God answered it in a very different way than we were requesting it. And if God would have done exactly what we wanted to, sometimes we'll look back at our lives and go, whew, I am so glad God did not answer that prayer, yes, because that would have been a bad news situation. I am so glad I did not get what I asked for in prayer. Because more than a mechanism for asking God to move in some way in the world, prayer is designed to develop my relationship with God. In other words, much more importantly and deeply than changing God's mind is the reality that what's happening in prayer quite often is it's changing me more than it's changing God. Quite often in prayer when I pray, I'm the one that's being changed more than God's mind being changed. And the reason for this is answered by Jesus at the end of his excuse me, parenting story in Luke 11. And if you look carefully at the text, it says, So if you sinful people know how to good give gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So often, we pray and we pray and we pray. And God's teaching us here in Luke chapter 11 that the greatest gift that God could give you, the greatest answer that God could give you to any prayer that you pray is actually the gift of himself. To change our hearts and our lives as he fills them by his Holy Spirit. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So often when I pray or when you pray, we say, God, would you change the situation at work? My boss just doesn't get it. I'm so frustrated. And God doesn't actually change the situation. God changes you. He gives you the patience and graciousness by his Holy Spirit's filling work in your life to turn the other cheek and to speak kindly to people who have maligned you. So often we pray, God, would you heal my grandmother of dimension? Instead, God uses that illness to transform your family and your character. This is why God often says to us in response to our prayer, later, Brad, later. Because God knows that those hard edges are my personality and my character, and he wants to transform them over time. And so he invites me to persist in prayer because he's going to continue to give me the gift that he promised in Luke 11, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to work in my life and in my heart. And there's a profound danger that exists in prayer. And that danger is that God doesn't seem to answer my prayers how I want them or when I want them. And so the danger is that I say, fine, I've prayed for something, God has not answered in any way, I've persisted, and so I'm just giving up and walking away. And what happens when you and I do that is we exit the process of transformation that God has designed for our lives. because we feel that God's mind hasn't been changed quite fast enough for us. And Jesus speaks to this very specifically in his closing words in Luke chapter 18. In Luke 18, he says, When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Which implies that many of us have given up long before we've received God's gracious gift to the Holy Spirit, and long before we see the specific requests to the answers that we desire. But this delay is not the denial of God's justice or our requests. It's God's mechanism whereby he develops faith in our hearts. How much trust could I really have in a God that simply said yes to my every request every time I asked for it? None. Because in his very job description, God, like a good parent, has it to see our relationship grow and develop. And so he intentionally sometimes delays answers to my prayer and uses that as a tool to cultivate a deeper dependence on him in my life. But the challenge is, is that I'm not good at that kind of waiting. Because some of this waiting doesn't actually happen over a few days or even a few weeks or a few months Sometimes it doesn't even happen over a few years. It can take decades and even longer than that. The truth is that all of your prayers are heard. And all of our prayers are actually answered. But some might be answered yes, some might be answered no. A good many of your prayers are answered later. And for some of my requests, Luke 18 teaches us that later is actually not even going to be until the point when Jesus comes back again to the earth. Vindication will come, justice will come, an answer will come, but God's timetable might be vastly and drastically different from yours and mine. And so I pray, God, I pray for the salvation of my friends and neighbors. God, let justice be done. Let let your shalom, your presence come to East Africa. Vindication will come. Justice will come. Those prayers will be answered. But it may not be in my lifetime, it may not be in yours. And in the meantime, many of us will have given up. And we'll have given up hope, we'll have given up praying because seemingly we have an endless delay. And so the question that Jesus finishes his story with is where we'll finish today. How much of that kind of persistent faith is God gonna find? And the questions for reflection and application fall right out of that. And the first question is this, What kind of things do you and I pray for? What kind of things do you generally pray for? Do they generally resemble the concerns that this woman has? What kind of things have fallen off of your prayer list, but are actually still deeply important to God? Maybe this morning he's going to invite you to put those back on the persistence prayer list. Sometimes we pray about things that are they're just juvenile or they're inconsequential in some ways. Sometimes we're praying about things that are really important and that have significant consequences, but we give up too soon. What kind of things do you pray for? And then secondly, with what level of persistence do you pray? I confess that I'm not good at praying with persistence. I'll pray about it for maybe a week. Sometimes if I'm really on the game, I'll pray about it for a couple of weeks. Sometimes if my kids remind me consistently when we're praying, as I tuck them into bed, we'll pray about it for longer periods of time. But I'm not good at praying things for the long haul. And so the challenge is, what's your plan to grow in consistency? Momentum Journal is one of those tools. If one of the things you want to grow in praying for is praying for other people, there's a name on every date, on every month every day in the calendar to pray for somebody. If you want to remember to pray for something, there's three pages to write down what you want to remember to pray for. And so when you think, I should be praying, just flip it open. What's, what's God reminded you to be praying for? What's your plan to grow in boldness? Maybe you as a person, the takeaway for you today is to think, you know what? I'm just not, I don't approach God with any level of faith in my heart or in my life. When I, when I come to God, I'm, I'm so timid. I just don't believe that God's invited me to come to him in boldness and confidence and in faith, like it says in Hebrews chapter 14. So maybe you need to put together a plan to grow in that area of your life. Because more than anything, the point that Jesus is making for us in Luke chapter 18 and Luke chapter 11, and in fact, really the point of prayer as an exercise, is that prayer really isn't about getting God to change his mind. Prayer is about persistent faith that results in a harmonizing of my desires with God's desires, of my timeline with God's timeline, of God's will with my will, so that I can genuinely pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so let's pray as we conclude our time together this morning. God, you have invited us to come to you boldly with faith and with confidence to ask you for the things that we need. Your word says we will find grace to help. We will receive the gift of your Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to reshape our hearts and our minds. And God, some of us are, we're guilty of just giving up and taking the exit off the freeway before we get to that place of persistence and consistency in prayer. I know I'm guilty of that, God. So I come to you in confession today and ask that you would strengthen my heart. I ask that you would strengthen all of us, Father, in our prayers, in our corporate expression of that. We want to be people who are found faithful. When the Son of Man returns, will he find that kind of persistent prayer and persistent faith? We want to be those types of people, God. So would you strengthen us, God, this week for the work that lies ahead? Strengthen us to pray in a way of persisting so that your desires become our desires. There's a unity of desire there, a harmony of desire. Pray that you would increase our boldness and confidence and faith in you, that you will move, that you are listening, and that you do desire to speak to us. So we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to ask these things and who taught us to come and modeled for us to come boldly to you. We pray and say, amen. Amen. Amen.